Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show on which we explore the story of you through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we are thrilled to have you here with us today. And we are thrilled to introduce to you a Nashville fave and an institution here at home, Becca Stevens. She is founder of Thistle Farms. Do yourself a favor and go to thistlefarms.org and check out the work that she has done and is doing. Her organization literally brings women who are being sex trafficked in off the streets and helps them through radical transformation. The stories are beautiful. And as a byproduct, these women, uh, a part of their process is creating these amazing lotions and candles and oils that will add beauty to your life as well. So you'll get beauty from the stories and beauty from uh, the products they make and serve and sell to others. So be sure and check that out. Uh, She's got a brand new book offering called Practically Divine. And what a great title for Becca because she is all about taking high ideas and expressing them in practical ways. So uh, you'll wanna check that book out, Practically Divine. She's been featured on the Today Show, CNN, ABC World News. She's been named a CNN hero, uh, and she is a hero of ours here as well. Uh, Before I turn it over to the host, be sure and check out Ian's brand new book, The Story of You. He dropped it on December 28th, and it is a great book. Uh, I've already used it as a resource multiple times. You'll want to check that out, and the audio book is available as well now so anywhere fine books are sold you can pick up the story of you hey that's it for me anthony skinner and now here is the host of our show ian cron becca stevens welcome to typology i'm happy to be here and happy to see you and i love your studio up here so much it's like just getting to sit with you in your living room it's very fun i know it's our it's our studio cave (laughs) and we love it up here as much as you do author of the book practically divine among many others i might add and you know what i don't always get the chance to have a dear friend in the studio i mean lots of times we have authors come in or you know different folks that i don't know until they get here Mm -hmm. you know and what a treat it is to have someone that i know well that i love that i actually work with from time to time, right? That I have so much admiration for because of your work at Thistle Farms, you know, as founder of Thistle Farms. And like just a friend of your husband's, Marcus, and God, I mean, the list goes on. I'm just so thrilled you're here. I love being here. And I think it's very funny because you and I have sat through so many services together and we can't sit together. <laughs> That's like, true. We, we are dear friends to the point that we can't worship together beside <laughs> each other in front of a congregation because we laugh. I know. And you know, for those who are listening, uh, I work as what's called a non-stipendiary clergy person at St. Augustine's Chapel at Vanderbilt University where Becca is also the chaplain Mm-hmm. And so I, from time to time, just volunteer my services on a Sunday, which means I show up and Becca says, robe up. And I go, okay. And then I, <laughs> she says, okay, you're going to celebrate the Eucharist today or you're going to read the gospel. And I go, okay. And then, you know, off we go and we, we start to do whatever we do. And we do sit next to each other up front in front of 400 people. And Scott, who is uh, the associate on staff, is always like, he has to separate us. I know, he's the contemplative. He's the contemplative justice person. And he goes like, 
take it deeper than normal breath, and we're going. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it is absolutely true. I was going to jump in too and say I'm a huge fan. Aww. Love what you do at Thistle Farms, and it just I'm so grateful you're here. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Anthony. That's true. And so again, welcome to Typology. We think you're an Enneagram 8, the challenger, though we've had some doubts, right? You've had some doubts. Yeah. You actually are ambivalent about the Enneagram. And I don't even know why you're on this show because you're ambivalent about the Enneagram, but that could be fun. Because I'm not ambivalent about you. I trust you on all of that, and I trust you to type me or whatever it is that you do to people, and it will be beneficial in some way. Yeah. Well, then you just open up a huge door, whatever it is you do to people. I just want everyone to know that uh, Becca insists every time she goes sees me, she goes, how's the anagram? <laughs> you know, I like bananagrams too. Yeah. That's the other thing that I love dearly. No, I take it seriously. I do take it seriously. And so I will quit. I have I had quit doing that a while ago. I really did. You called it the enemagram once. Oh my God, that's awful. I know. You I'm did. Sorry. It was so wounding. But I'm over it now. Oh, good. I'm over it now. Okay, Practically Divine, your new book. Tell us more, please, and then we're going to jump into Enneagram 8 stuff, but please share us, share this about Practically Divine. Ian, it's my favorite book I ever wrote. That's the honest-to-God truth. It is um, the book that I got to write during COVID. You know, every author wrote a book, like, what did you do during the summer? What did you do during the pandemic? And everybody's like, here's my book. And it, it sprung out of, you know, genuine surprise in the middle of my life in the cafe at Thistle Farms in Nashville, Tennessee, where my mother's voice just came into my head in a particularly stressful situation. And then just really leaning into this idea that we're almost and just enough and that we don't have to procrastinate about justice or about seeing beauty or about experiencing the divine right where we are. It's all right in front of us. And how do we find it? So mm. if this book is anything. It is not a self-help book. It is specifically a book to say we are in the midst of the miracle. And we can live into it. It might take some practice. It may take some new rituals in our lives. It might take some new eyesight. But we can do it. You know, I read the book, and then we did an event together uh, during COVID. So it was online. It was a book drop sort of celebration. And uh, I remember reading it and just being reminded of the great quote. It might have been Julian and Norwich. And she says, it is the madness of great love to see God in all things. Mm. Isn't that great? Yeah. Mm. And that's what I felt when I read the book. Like This book is all about the madness of seeing God in all things. And, and I, I love that. Now, there's a lot of stuff in there about crafts and justice, right? Because that's part of Thistle Farms Jam and your jam. So tell me... Tell us more about it. Yeah, so just, you know, basically, I think all of us are trying to live into this purpose. I mean, you talk about it in beautiful ways all the time and living fully into that. And for me, it is really the intersection of justice and crafts. I've seen women do amazing healing work, heal communities, do all kinds of stuff through this ability to be artisans and craftswomen. And you know, so I, I spend a lot of time talking about the revolutionary nature of us being creative and finding that place where we get to create something and mm. the beauty of that and how it's therapeutic, it's um, economically makes us viable, it 
heals families. I mean, it does all kinds of stuff. So, you know, you're the one that really taught me a lot, too, about the beautiful, perfect imperfections. Mm -hmm. And so I think the idea of crafts instead of just artwork means you can do it okay. You don't have to be the master. Mm -hmm. But still, your hands can create something that you find meaningful and beautiful, and sometimes that reminds you that you're meaningful and beautiful. Oh, right. That's great. All right, so I just realized I didn't ask you a question. I just made the assumption, because Thistle Farms is such a big deal, mm-hmm. and such a, I mean, here in Nashville, you and, and Thistle Farms is legendary, but globally, it's a big deal. Can you just give us a short, give those folks who don't know, give them context, what's, what are you laughing at? No, just short. I will, I'll do it short. Well, you know how it is. We got a show here, baby. I got to get this thing done. <laughs> okay. Thistle Farm started 25 years ago with a single house in Nashville, Tennessee. It's grown into a national and global movement for women's freedom. You know, we have more than uh, 600 beds around the country now, long-term beds for women survivors of trafficking, addiction, prostitution, sexual exploitation, women that we criminalized because we forgot they were victims first. Um, We grew our own companies, we have justice enterprises so women can claim their lives, make choices, raise their children, and take their rightful place as healers of the community. And to realize their own beauty. To realize their own beauty, actually, mm-hmm. yes. To, right, which is just sort of part and parcel of the whole, because I do think so much of, and I've been in, you know, Thistle Farms many times, I've sat in the circle of women many times, and I, I do think that one of the messages they hear, and that I hope typology listeners hear a lot from us, is that they are an expression of the divine. That they are fundamentally beautiful. And though their experiences have caused wounds and have created layers of defenses and resistance, and, and perhaps they've lost touch with their core goodness, their original goodness, it's still there. Yeah. And to help them unwind... Yeah. All the messages in, that they've heard and all the experiences and traumas they've experienced to re, this isn't a word, but I like it anyway, to re-reveal mm. their core goodness. You know? I think sometimes it's like a memory problem. We can't remember who we are, mm. whose we are. Mm. You know, and I hope that when we offer people the time and the space and some of the resources, it helps them remember and like you're saying re-reveal like just peel back those beautiful layers and honestly in the book practically divine i'm gleaning on 25 years of those heroic stories of people re-revealing of people re-remembering remembering putting themselves back together and you know the stories are heroic and that's why i wanted to share a lot about how practically divine the women i've been privileged to walk alongside have been you know, and some of them are really funny, too. You know, sometimes all that stuff is, it's almost comical looking back on it when you think about things you did just to survive. Mm. And then how you found grace even in those moments. Yeah. You know, I think about, you know, uh, the 12-step recovery rooms I spend a lot of time in, as you know, uh, that um, there's one of the big surprises when you go into them for the first time. is because you always think, okay, I'm going to go in there 
And there's going to be a lot of people, some sad-ass people, just sitting around whining about their terrible lives and how hard it is to live without drugs and alcohol and whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And you come in and people are laughing. Yeah. And they laugh at stories no one in their right mind would laugh about. <laughs> you know? It's like, yeah, I drove over a median and, I, you know, my car landed up in, like, you know, the, like, like in the lingerie section of Bloomingdale's, you know, and I drove through the And people laugh and laugh and laugh at their own brokenness. I think it's a sign of, weirdly, it's, it's a sign of the, the sort of the nascent sign of, of healing. It's yes. the ability, the laughter, Right. And I think we do that at Thistle Farms. We laugh as much as we cry. Yes. We definitely do. And like I remember in one of the stories I told, it was one of the women who had come into the program, like many of the women that I work with, you know, <clears throat> early, early trauma. This was it's a horrible story. Cast mm. out to the streets as an early young teenager. Horrible addiction, all of that stuff. She came into the program. People are showering her with love, saying, you're amazing, we love you. She didn't really hear any of it, right? I mean, she couldn't hear it. She couldn't take it in. She couldn't re-reveal that part of, like, to allow herself that grace. So she goes back out on the street. And one of the graduates said, I know exactly where she is. I'm going after her. (laughs) So she's yelling for her, and the woman hears her, and she says she has 20 bucks left. And she pays somebody to say, she hides in the bushes, hands the person 20 bucks and says, get rid of her. I can't listen. I can't, I can't come out. I'm too in my darkness. I cannot hear this light. And so they're yelling her name, yelling her name. And she said she's crouched down behind the bushes going, just go away, just go away, just go away. But that calling of her name while she was crouched down in the bushes ruined her high. That's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) And she couldn't get the voice out of her head, so she had to come out. Wow. I mean. That's beautiful. It's beautiful, and you can't make it up. No. No. No, you can't make it up. And it's like, you know, in the end, somebody calling your name while you're crouched down hiding ruins Mm. your high anyway. Mm. (laughs) absolutely so you know for the longest time uh we thought you were an enneagram eight the challenger Mm -hmm. and i'm going to describe the eight to you and uh but i'm not so sure right i have i'm ambivalent about it uh and but so i just want to describe the eight to you and i'm going to inter sort of i'm going to weave this into the conversation around thistle farms and practically divine but so they're called the challenger. They, they are commanding, intense. Um, they are notoriously blunt. Um, they are assertive. They radiate power. Sometimes people sense that what they're radiating is anger because they're so intense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the unconscious motivation underneath all this behavior is a need to assert strength and control over the environment and others in order to mask vulnerability and weakness. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times the, the stereotypical eight, you know, pre- presents this sort of, I don't want to say hardened, but sometimes defended exterior. And sometimes you're like, wow, that person's tough. You know what I mean? Like they're a real hard ass. And yet they have a very squishy middle. Mm. Lots of squishy Lots of love, lots of loyalty, lots of tenderness. It's just that they mask it a lot because in, in many ways the eight is afraid of betrayal. 
and they're afraid uh, that someone will take advantage. Like they see a world in which the advantage get the, the weak get taken advantage of, and so they want to be strong, right? Because they've experienced something in their in their life that convinced them that that's the story of the world. The weak get taken advantage of, and the mighty, you know, uh, are getting moved through life more protected, right? And insulated from, from harm. Does that sound like you? Oh, for sure. Yes. I mean, the answer is yes. But some of the other ones sound like me, too. I think there's, don't all of us have parts of ourselves that are the wings? Yeah, well, not so much wings, yes. I, the, the, the way I would say it is that all of us contain all nine types. Mm-hmm. All of them. Mm-hmm. It's just that we tend to gravitate toward and default to one more than the other eight. Then I bet, yes, that probably is me. Okay. So now my next question for you is, are you an anxious person? Describe anxiousness and I'll tell you. Well, it's like, um, are you a person? Well, let me ask, put it to you this way. Are you a person? What's your relationship like with authority figures? Oh, well, that is, that's an easy one for me. Bring it. Bring it. So my relationship with authority figures is that it has never gone well. (laughs) (laughs) I have to clarify many times for authority figures what the truth of the situation is. (laughs) You don't have any trouble speaking truth to power, do you? No. Now, um, are you always sort of testing an authority figure to find out if they're loyal and trustworthy? Um, or do you just like want to, do you like naturally just go up against power? No, I think what I do is I think I circumvent power more than that. So I would start organizations. I would stay in a chapel instead of, you know, moving in a hierarchical way because it's this place that feels free and safer to me. Um, so it's not that I like confront authority a lot. I think I just begin new ventures and find ways so I can still have that space of freedom. Mm. So you circumvent authority figures Mm. and then, but, but when you get pushed into a corner by one, what do you do? Um, what do I do? I either cry Mm. or maybe just now, I mean, I'm older now. Back in the day, it would be be angry or cry or do whatever. But now I, I feel like I try to have as honest a conversation as I can have while not getting in too much trouble. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's possible you're an eight because that's a lot of eight stuff. Yeah. At the same time, um, I think you're an eight who spends a lot of time, we would say this, that when eight is doing really well and they're healthy, they look like a healthy two. And they're the giver, the helper. And a healthy two is someone who's an altruistic giver. There's no calculated or strategic giving. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And there's somebody that, um, when they're really healthy, are very attuned to the feelings of others. Like they, they have a really good ability to read feelings and then um, move in and help in a really caring, nurturing way. So you may be what we call a social eight that spends a lot of time at the high side of two, where you're a helper and a giver, mm-hmm. and um, you are very concerned with matters of justice, yes, I which am. is very characteristic of the eight. Mm-hmm. You are, the eights love to defend underdogs. 
they just can't help themselves. It's like they <laughs> gravitate toward the lowest of the low and want to raise them up. Oh. Right? Which is a which is a feature of, of who you are. You're, you're starting to like the Enneagram a little bit more right now? I do like it. I like I love hearing you talk about it. That's I do love that. I love your insights. But you know, Ian, honestly, I love it. But I also love it like just when you're preaching and you take any word. Like I remember when you um you know, the word behold, what it mm. means to behold, or words when you talk about, um, you know, defining spirituality. Whenever you do that stuff, mm. I always learn something. So I'm learning, and I love that, but I also love it when you just preach and talk about whatever. All right. Complete turn in the water. Okay. Talk to me about your relationship with your mother. Yes. Because I'm a therapist, and that's how I love to lead a conversation. Tell me about your mother. Yeah. So my mom died the week we opened Thistle Farm, so 25 mm -hmm. years ago. I didn't know that. Wow. Mm -hmm. Same week. They've been planning it forever, and she died in She'd August. been planning it forever? No, we, like oh. the whole community. <laughs> like, wow, she planned that? No, but I'm saying, like, I think she would have been really proud. I mean, she was the director of a community center in Nashville, and I think she would have been so proud of what we were, the small group of us were trying to do about really welcoming people with dignity and honor for them to have the space to do their heroic work. But so she dies the week that it happens. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's amazing to me that 25 years later, when I'm beginning to write what I think is probably the last book that I want to share about these themes, it's her voice in my head. That's mm -hmm. how powerful her voice was. So she raised five kids as a single mom. My dad had been killed by a drunk driver when I was little. And she had these sayings she used to say. I mean, it was like I was always, I mean, I think of it as like just kind of how she made her way through the day. If you could find a saying around it, it'll be better no matter what, you know. And so, you know, if you said something like, this isn't fair, she would always say, who promised you fair? Like that was one <laughs> of her, like, no one, I don't know anybody promised me fair. Or, you know, if somebody did something that she thought was particularly egregious, she would say, can you believe they did that in broad daylight? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and she used to say, um, if you didn't, like, you didn't want to let stuff go, she would say, three moves are as good as a fire. <laughs> Meaning, you don't want to lug that stuff around anyway. Just let's get rid of it. Let's throw it out. Let's do it. But she had these ways of, of just communicating her whole theology in these really short ways. And those sayings, they stay with me. Hmm. Even to the tone is in my head, the, her, the tone she used and how she looked and what she moved with. And I think it was a really great inheritance. You know, my mom was practical. She was the most practical. She was raised on a um, dairy farm in upstate New York. You know, she became a nurse. I mean, what's more practical than a dairy farmer nurse? Nothing. And then she moved into taking care of kids and running a community center. And I always think of her, my mom, as this creative, amazing person who made do with little in an extravagant way. Mm. And she was like, to me, like a lighthouse. That's how I, the best way I can describe her. Like when you're out on those rocky, crazy, oceanic waves, you see this lighthouse, and it's steady and beautiful, mm. and this constant light, and you just know it's there, and you can always go back to it. 
But then when you get there, it's kind of cold and made of stone. <laughs> <laughs> that is so That's funny. amazing. And it's like, okay. You know, like, there wasn't, I mean, like, I remember one time saying to her, you know, Mom, we're all getting older. We're all moving out. We're having babies. All the kids are getting big. Like, I don't know that you have a ton of friends. I just want to know, like, like, who do you talk to if you have a problem? And my mom said to me, well, give me an example. <laughs> like, she couldn't think of a problem you might have that you would need to talk to someone about. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Does that give you a hint? Oh, listen, <laughs> you're talking to a guy whose mother's stories are infinite. Yeah. And my mom is a hardcore eight. Um, and, but she's not, she hasn't done enough personal work you know, to have developed into this nurturing, but still very strong presence. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I have an, Anthony, I have a new story about my mother. No. You're just not gonna believe this. <laughs> so I tell many stories about my mom yeah, on, oh yeah. on typology, right? So she's in a assisted living uh, facility now and she's she has dementia and, uh, mm. but she's still like a force of nature, even though Half the time, I don't understand what she's saying, right? <laughs> like sometimes I will call her on the phone and she'll be okay for about 10 minutes. And then I hear this, hello, Dolly. Well, and then it, literally she knows all the words and she sings it as loud as she can into the phone. And I just <clears throat> let her sing. And she's just, I mean, she, she's a piece of work. And so, I have to clarify after all these years, I met your mother, and I've met her several times. You are not exaggerating on the voice. Oh, no, no. <laughs> hey, man. 75 years of smoking palm oils. Yeah. You have Wait, it down. Did she this have to quit a... smoking to go into an assisted living place? Yes, and do you know why? Because the geriatrician said to her that it would blow up her oxygen tank and kill everybody in the bingo hall if she didn't. Oh, my gosh. Was that hard for her? I don't. Here's the nice thing, I guess. Uh, well, she, they put her on patches, and she just stopped. Awesome. So that was that. Yeah. But the other day, she took a fall. And oh, she no. was okay, but by law, they have to take her to the emergency room, right? Mm -hmm. And, of course, they're poking and prodding her, and she's 93. And so she's got, like, paper-thin skin. And so if they do that, you know, she gets, right? This actually happened. My brother was there. I have a witness <laughs> to this event, okay? My mother, God bless the eights, right? They're poking and prodding her, and I guess I don't know what they did that you know made her uncomfortable. But she lunged up off the gurney and grabbed the nurse by the lapels and said, "I'm gonna tear your heart out, and then I'm coming after your family." <laughs> <laughs> That's so scary. <laughs> That's no, hilarious. it's just classic. My mom, it's Gosh. just classic behavior. Oh my god! Literally said that. I kid you not. You have to have a sense of humor in these situations. Yeah, you can't totally. just, you know, say, oh, the poor thing. It's like, nope, that's my mom. That's got, it. Yeah. That's it. That's I'm not, it. you know, it's just how she rolls. That <laughs> well, big hello, Dolly. Well, hello, Dolly. That's right. For sure. Hello, Dolly. So I love throughout the book that you have, you know, these wonderful, mm. you know, sayings from your mom. I laughed out loud. Had a bunch of them because you have like 10 or 15 in there. I mean, there's just a bunch of them. And you can really just almost see yourself in the conversation mm -hmm. with her. She sounds like a force of nature who gave birth to a force of nature, <laughs> right? And, you know, 
I think that's so beautiful that we have these stories, you know? So I just wrote a book, and I'm going to be terribly self-promotional now, but it does, you know, bear some relevance to our conversation. It's called The Story of You, Mm. which you, thankfully, you endorsed. Um, And The Story of You, the whole premise of it is, is that all of us as little people craft a story to make sense of our lives, uh, make sense of trauma, to make sense of good things, to make sense of all the things we're experiencing. And, and that story helps us survive as a little person, even though it's usually kind of negative, you know, because that's how human beings are, unfortunately, in this broken world. That's what we do. And then we unconsciously bring that story into adulthood and it no longer serves us, mm-hmm. right? Helped us as little people, does not serve us as, as adults. And so the whole book is about how do we rewrite the story? How do we get ourselves out of the broken narrative of our lives? And I just keep thinking about Thistle Farms and the women. Mm. That they, they, they're born in this world, they have these terrible experiences. And, you know, you can have a charmed childhood and still have some really bad story to tell about yourself. And then part of the healing journey for them is being able to rewrite the story into a whole new one, a story of redemption, right? Like when I think about my early childhood story, I would have named it if it were a memoir, Lost Boy. Mm. And now I refer to the story that I would prefer to live in and try to live in every day as the redeemed man, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. So talk to me about what the journey is from broken story to a story of wholeness, right? A, a renamed story for these women. Like, what does that look like? And for me, I mean, I can talk, you know, about some of the women and for myself, what I think some of those elements are that help us not have the story control us and traumatize us, but where we control the story. Yeah, be the narrator. You yeah. are the narrator. You have agency. Yeah, and for me, one of the key plot twist was gratitude Mm. you know i never i honestly never saw it in the whole story of the leper when the one comes back and says thanks even though he's had leprosy he's had all this crap in his life he's gone through so much he's out there begging Mm -hmm. he says thanks and jesus equates thanks with faith because he says your faith has made you well And that part of the story changed it for me because I could get Mm. to thanks. Even if I couldn't understand faith as much, I could always get to thanks. So I was faithful. And it's, you know, transforming a story that feels pretty broken or shattered into a story that feels like I had gratitude, I found gratitude. It was completely transformational. Like we can get to thanks. Mm. We can get there. And I've seen that so many times in the women at Thistle Farms is like, I'm, you know, you don't have to do this big declaration of anything, but find out what you can say thanks about. Mm-hmm. And then that's a big part of it. And the second part for me in the plot is learning that forgiveness isn't an act. It's a journey. Mm-hmm. That it's not like I go, okay, I forgive you. Like what it, that feels pretty shallow and mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like it does justice to some of the events mm-hmm. that have happened in our lives. Like, no, it's not going to be that easy. But to take a journey of forgiveness is transformative. It's, you know, freeing. It's powerful. It is humbling. It is where you take all the aftermath of trauma and say, 
you know, that is not the path I'm walking. I am walking this path that is leading towards freedom because that's where I got to live. So gratitude, forgiveness, you know, just really the basic stuff that is transformative. And then the other thing for me has been community. That's the third piece Mm -hmm. is like find safe community for anybody. If you can run to it, not walk to it, because you can't do it by yourself. Mm. We're not meant to live that way. You know, and it doesn't have to be a large community, doesn't have to be a formal community, but it has to be a place where it's like I can say inappropriate things or I can tell you some of the darker stuff and not be afraid. Because mm. mm. that fear is, it just, it keeps you in that same story forever. And I do believe it's, you know, the most transformal thing the world is known as community. Mm-hmm. You know, I do believe revolutions start with a single thought in my head or in your head or in your head, mm-hmm. but they're grown in community with others. Mm. You know, you tell a story in the book that I had a first row, you know, seat for, and it's for me maybe one of the most powerful stories in the book, and because it speaks to your evolution. In your transformational journey of having a broken story that included sexual abuse and trauma to becoming the person you are today and living the story you're living in now. And it's the, it's the story of the grandson of your abuser showing up in church one day, actually in Thistle Farms and then in church. Uh, can you share that story just for a moment? Sure. I'm happy to. Um, I don't know that I'm happy to. <laughs> I'm willing to. Yeah. Um, but the story is it's just that I was doing a podcast right in the middle of the cafe um, at Thistle Farms, and this man walked in, and somebody said, you have to go talk to him. He needs to talk to you. And so I went over there and found out who he was and that it was this crazy, serendipitous timing in the world you know, I am 58 years old. I was five years old when, or six years old when the abuse started. Five years old when my dad died, six years old when the abuse started. Mm. My abuser was 35 years old, and his grandson was 35 years old. Mm. That was standing before me. So, basically. And, and he didn't know. No, and it was like a half a century, people. A half a century later, if you can imagine how long healing takes, you know, a half a century of doing this work and, of, you know, going through all the steps, going through all the processes, having my own kids, therapy, um, hypnosis, all of it, you know, and standing before him and thinking, why is he standing here? What does he want from me? And he looked like the guy. Mm. And he was the same age, but I'm looking 50 years past and living in myself. And that's when I was saying my mom's voice came. And then it was I had this huge outpouring of compassion and love for him. I didn't have anything that I thought I would have. And I could imagine the trauma in their family and how it continues. Because, you know, trauma is generational, too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, things that are not healed you get to pass down to the next generation Mm -hmm. and it made sense that of course he would end up coming through there if he's really looking for healing 
that he would have to come back, even without knowing who I was, he would find his way into that space. That made perfect sense to me. So I had this big outpouring of compassion and love and preached on it the next Sunday. What I didn't know is he was there, and so that's how he found out about what his grandfather had done. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting next to you. I was like... I remember. I was awful. It was just, I felt sick for him. I felt sick for myself. And part of me thought, well, how does he not know? You know, like, I had confronted the family. I'd done all that work years ago. And I thought, maybe he did know. Mm. Or I couldn't figure out. But no, he did not know, and he was very mad, very, very mad. And I went back in, immediately into this shameful place of like, I should never have told the story. I shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, I created this whole community so people can tell their story. Mm. I'm not saying names. I'm not trying to do any damage. I'm just trying to be honest about my own life and journey of forgiveness and gratitude. Nothing awful. And then, you know, that relationship continued to deteriorate. (laughs) (laughs) And it was this crazy thing of I wanting nothing. I really wanted nothing but the best for him. But I also didn't want him to try to control that story again. I had spent too long freeing that story up for myself and in my life. And the gift almost was, you know, I was traveling for the whole month of February when this hap- after this happened, and um, then I was at, at the border um, working with women, trying to asylum seekers on the border, and COVID hit. And so then I was removed from all those situations that were stressful about mm. people coming into the cafe and coming into the chapel, and it was like I had this space to do this important reflection and thoughtful understanding of what I could have done differently or how I could, you know, maybe offer him some support without being, you know, a trigger for him, any of those things. But it was like, honest to God, those first few months of COVID were a big gift for me. Mm. I know that sounds crazy. I mean, I did grieve and I kept going on the work. I did all that. But it was also like, you know, sometimes like, I don't have to see anybody. Mm-hmm. So you moved from that place of brokenness. You'd done a ton of work. In comes this man who I know and have spent time with, uh, who is the grandson of your abuser. He does not know that that's part of this story. You tell this. Why we were standing right there. Yes. (laughs) I mean, it's one of the craziest stories ever. But here, what's reflected, though, is how you've adopted a new story that's full of compassion and gratitude and grace and struggle. It wasn't, you know, it it was, you know, you got triggered. Lots of old stuff came up. Lots of confusion. But this new story is there for you. And I just love that you've become the person that that you've become. And that story reflects Mm -hmm. the beauty of the soul that God has crafted in you and the new story that that God has given you. And that message just runs all the way through Practically Divine, this wonderful new book of yours. And, you know, your work is just a lighthouse. You are a lighthouse. In the good way? Yeah. 
You're warm when you get close Thank to Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be the other part of it. <laughs> it's not cold. It's not cold. No. No. It's I, real warm. You know, and the other thing is just, this is just a couple days ago, I'm, you know, I meet so many people in the cafe at Thistle Farms and people who want to tell you their story and they want you to hear their story. And I was sitting there and I was really trying to listen. And, you know, everybody, like everybody this fall has been traveling again. Mm-hmm. We've gone from zero to 60,000, you know, and it's hard. It's hard to keep up. It's hard to listen. It's hard to be present. I find this, this is one of the harder festival seasons I've been through as far as like trying to get up for all of this that's happening. And I was sitting in the cafe and this man started pouring out the story like you're talking about. And he said, I've been waiting a long time to tell you the story. This is just um, somebody I didn't know. And as he was talking, I found myself not listening. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it's the worst. And I was like, okay, now is the time to practice your listening. Like, lean in. Listen to what this man has to say. He's waited a long time to tell it. Focus. And as I was focusing, the background music at the cafe sounded like it just went full volume and it was the song what child is this and i was like oh my god this is the child Mm. this is this is the christ before me this is the person embodying Mm. the divine right Mm. before me this is the most important thing you're going to do and i just started thinking about how beautiful it is not only for people to rewrite their story and to tell it but to rehear a story Hmm. Like I need to be leaning in and listening in a way with gentleness and compassion because what child is this that needs to be wrapped in Mary's arms, that needs to feel like they're worthy of gold and myrrh? That's the child. And I just, I'm really, I love that your whole next season is about us not only just rewriting our own stories but re-listening to other stories Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and i love your new book practically divine let's just love each other's books let's just love each other's books they make a good gift set would they not yes let's do it yes you can buy two for one i'll get the proceeds and then you'll donate yours i'll give you the i'll give you my proceeds (laughs) 100 percent of mine go to thistle farms well i will sell them in the cafe in the gift shop next to the cafe and we, you can take all the profits from mine. Sweet. Amen. Becca, we're so glad and honored that you've come on the show. For those of you who have not already you know, acquainted yourself with the title of Becca's book, Practically Divine, and it's really a, such a beautiful book about us finding God in all things. Finding God in all things. It's about the intersection of crafts and justice you know, it's just loaded up with wisdom from your mama, and it's a prize. And I hope everybody jump on Amazon or run down to Thistle Farms if you're in Nashville, or go to your favorite bookstore and pick up a copy of Practically Divine. Also, I want you to go over to Thistle Farms. It's thistlefarms.com, right? Org. Org. Oh, well, of course. Thistle, T-H-I-S-T-L-E, farms.org. Is it farms or farm? Farms. Farms. Okay. Thistlefarms.org. Do you know I just questioned it, by the way, when you said, is it farm or farms? I've only done this for 25 years. And I was like, <laughs> wait, is it not farms? 
That's so funny. Is that an eight that questions themselves completely? No, that's a 58-year-old oh, okay, who, perfect. like me, is forgetting things like that on a regular basis. <laughs> What's my middle name? Anyway, um, Becca, thank you for being my pal. Thanks for being on Typology. Thanks for your work in the world. And thank you for Practically Divine. You are welcome. And please know that your friendship means the world to me. So I love being on here and I love talking about it. And I hope everybody has an amazingly divine day. Amen. Hey, Typology listeners, remember these words. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. May you have rest. Until next time. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.